Okay, so I have a question for you. How many of you are rule breakers? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay, now go ahead, get, put your hand up for just a more second. Okay, the rest of you are lying and you're in church. <laughs> okay, okay, how many of you have ever gone over the speed limit at least once in your life? Okay, those of you who drive, at, you're lying, okay, if you, okay, because, well, I loved it when the state of Montana had no speed limit. I, many of you know that, but for many, 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 many years, they had no speed limit. I'll never forget, I was going, this is a true story. I was going 110 miles an hour in Montana, and I passed a highway patrolman that was going about 100 miles an hour. And they were cool with that. Like, they really were. Uh, it's, I would drive to Montana just to drive. I mean, woohoo, that was fun, okay? Now, I, I'm grateful for, for rules. I, I mean, there are some rules that I'm grateful for, like, you know, like traffic signs. Like, I'm, I'm thankful for stop signs. I'm thankful for crosswalk signs. I, I'm thankful for those things. Those are rules that I need to keep so I don't kill people, right? And uh, I'm, I'm grateful that when I'm crossing the street, that I cross sometimes at a stop sign. I'm, I mean, I'm grateful for rules. Now, here's the thing, though. When you think of the church and you think of rules, what comes to your mind? Like, some things are good. Like, the rules that God gives us are good. Like, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. Those things are good. But, but what do we think of sometimes in the church? Sometimes we think of man-made rules. And those aren't always nearly as good, are they? Interestingly enough, when Jesus was here on earth, I put this on the screen, when Jesus was here on earth, he found himself right smack in the middle of a Jewish culture filled with religious leaders attempting to control people through rules. Daniel Martin, who's a first century scholar, wrote this. In the Mosaic law, one of the commandments is to keep the Sabbath, which, again, for Jews is on Saturday, which means that Jews were not supposed to work on Saturdays. That was one of the Big Ten, one of the Big Ten commandments. Keep the Sabbath holy. Don't work on the Sabbath. Now, we celebrate uh, our Sabbath on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. But Jewish people celebrated their Sabbath on Saturday. But to clarify this, the Jewish scholars created 39 separate categories of what work was. So if I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath, well, what does that mean? Well, over the centuries, they began to qualify that in many, many different ways. So they had 39 different definitions of what work was, uh, and they broke those up even into other subcategories. So to follow the rule of not working on the Sabbath, there are literally thousands of sub-rules to follow, including how many steps you can take, which is, by the way, approximately 950 steps. And if you have a Fitbit, you know that that's not a whole lot of steps. And how many letters you can write. You were allowed to write one letter. No texting. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't do that because that's, you cannot work on the Sabbath. Now, here's the deal. Every parent knows that you cannot curb, well, you can curb behavior through rules, but you can't change a person's heart through rules. You can't do that. You only change a person's heart by getting on the inside of them. So this morning, what I want to share with you right up front is, is that we want to, I, want, I want to talk to you about your heart. Now, I'm not your cardiologist. Trust me, I'm not a doctor. But God's Word wants to talk to us about our hearts. 
Here at Frontline over the last few weeks and months, we've been in this series out of the book of Mark. And this morning we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7. And I want us to read a portion of Mark chapter 7, which comes out of the, the Passion translation of the Bible. Okay, so let's just look at this together. And Jesus talks specifically to us about our hearts. One day, those known as the Pharisees and, a certain, and certain religious scholars came from Jerusalem and gathered around Jesus. They were shocked to find that some of Jesus' disciples ate bread without first observing the prescribed Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating their meal. For the Pharisees, like all other Jews, will not eat without first performing a ritual of pouring water over their cupped hands to keep the tradition of the elders going on. Similarly, when they returned from the marketplace, they ceremonially washed themselves before eating. Now, now understand, and I'll go on, keep reading to side, understand, that washing before you ate for these guys was not about having good hygiene. It's not what they're talking about there. Sure, you should wash your hands before you eat. What they were talking about there is when you're out in culture with other people and you come back in your house, you have to wash yourself off from other people. It's like we're separated. We're better than others. We're superior than others. And we want to show that by coming back in and we're washing ourselves of any cooties that we might have gotten on ourselves from other people. Does that make sense? That is what the religious scholars are accusing Jesus of. They also observed many other traditions, such as ceremony, washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and religious leaders asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the age-old traditions passed down by our elders? They should first ceremony wash their hands before eating. And again, ceremonially, right? It's all about cleaning, cleaning yourself from any other, any other people. Jesus replied, you know what, guys? You're frauds. In fact, you're hypocrites. How accurately did Isaiah prophesy about you, when, about you, phonies, when he said, these people honor me with their words while their hearts run far away from me? Their worship is actually nothing more than a charade. For they continue to insist that their man-made traditions are equal to the instructions of God. In fact, you abandoned God's commandments just to keep men's rituals, such as ceremony, washing utensils, cups, and other things. Then he added, how skillful you've become at rejecting God's law in order to maintain your man-made set of rules. Then he gives them an example. For example, Moses taught us, honor your father and mother, and whoever insults or mistreats his father and mother must be put to death. But you've made up some man-made rules that allow a person to say to their parents, hey, I, you know, I know I'm supposed to take care of you, but I've decided to take the support you were counting on from me and make it a holy offering to God. And that will be your blessing instead. How convenient. You were supposed to take care of your parents, but instead you've tried to shroud it into an offering that you say you're going to give to God to impress other people. If I could, I'd like to take the entire thing. The rules you teach exempt, from, exempt you from providing for your aged parents. Do you really think God will honor your traditions passed down to others, making up these rules that nullify God's word? And by the way, you're doing a lot of things like that. You're focused on the external when there's something much more important at hand. And if I could, I'd love to sum up Mark chapter 7, the entire chapter, with just this one phrase that I already read to you. As a matter of fact, I'd love you to read this phrase that's on the screen with me. So Read it. If you're going to make a mistake, make a loud mistake, because I want you to read it loudly, okay? So let's read it together. Here we go. 
These people honor me with their words, while their hearts run far away from me. Can I just ask you, what's the condition of your heart? See, your heart is incredibly important. Your heart makes up your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's why God said to us, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. And then he says to us again in, in 1 Chronicles, the Lord searches every heart. Some of you are freaking out right now. Oh, crap. He knows that too? Yes. And he understands every desire and every thought. Now, here's the thing. In the Facebook, Instagram, social media world that we live in, we're constantly focused on everybody else's externals. We basically compare everybody else's highlight reel with our reality. And we're in a society today that focuses so much on the externals that, that we forget that, it, that everything that happens in and through us comes from our heart. And that's why God is much more interested in our heart. See, God's got an amazing life for you. As a matter of fact, would you do me a favor? Turn to your neighbor and say this. God's got a life that's better for you than you could ever imagine. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor. God's got a life for you that's better than you could ever imagine. Now, the thing is, is that in order to tap into that, it's got to come from our heart. Because our heart is what's most important. And if I had another hour to, to preach this, I, I might just focus on this. Because here's the, there's this guy in the Old Testament of the Bible. His name is Samuel. And God tapped Samuel and says, Samuel, I want you to go pick the next ruler for the country of Israel. I want you to go, I want you to go pick him, and I'm going to send you to this guy's house. So Samuel goes to this guy's house, and this guy ends up having seven sons. And he meets the, the eldest, and the guy's tall and good-looking and you know, all that kind of stuff. So Samuel just assumes, oh, it must be him. And this must be who's going to be the next king. Because this guy looks like he's a king. He's royal in how he looks. Right? And, and then God whispers into Samuel's heart these words. Samuel, no, 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 no. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Would you read from there on with me out loud and together? Here we go. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David was a shepherd. Matter of fact, when Samuel came, six other brothers were there. David was taking care of the sheep way out where no one was hanging out. Nobody knew about David. No one cared about David. He was the runt young brother. Catch this. This is for somebody in this room. You think that God has forgotten you. Can I just tell you, God is preparing your heart for everything he has for you. David was out with the sheep, taking care of the sheep. God was preparing him to be the king of the entire nation because it started with his heart. How is your heart? What's the condition of your heart? That's where it always starts with. So let me set it up this way. I've been married to my much better half for 29 years. I've got a picture of her here. So Mary and I have been married for 29 years. We met in the fifth grade in Sunday school. True story. OK, 
okay? We went on our first date in sixth grade. We went to the San Diego Zoo, okay? Um, and then we dated other people. We got back together. Now, here's the deal. October 12th, 1990, we got married. And when we got married, um, I entered into, I, well, some people might say I entered into a contract because the deal is, is that there was this thing that, I mean, I said some vows in front of some folks and I, I actually signed a marriage license. I did all that. But can I tell you, what I did on October 12th, 1990 is I actually entered into a whole nother level of relationship. And the Bible might even call it a covenant and a commitment to my wife. See, what happened on that day is just that I committed myself to love my wife like, well, like the New Testament writer, a guy by the name of Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, when he encourages me, Chris, love your wife, love Mary as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. So you know what happened on October 12th, 1990? A part of me died. Because I am to give up my life for my wife. Right? And what happens is that so many people, they get into marriage and they think, woohoo! Now, here's the deal. We're going to enter into this contract. You're going to do this, and I'm going to do this. You're going to meet my needs, and if you meet my needs, then I'll, I'll try and make sure that your needs are met. But if my needs aren't met, ooh, I'm not sure your needs are going to be met. Right? That's not what marriage is supposed to be. I promise to love Mary, to cherish her, to love her in sickness and in health. No matter what, even on the days when she has headaches, to love her. Now, I can stop at the contractual place, but if I do that, I miss out on all the richness that God has in a fully committed, loving relationship between a husband and a wife. I'll give you another example. Many of you probably, most of you, if not all of you, have been watching things play out over the last month, five weeks with Kobe Bryant and Gigi and, and how you know, they tragically passed away. And I don't know how many of you saw the, the beautiful, beautiful ESPN thing that was put together by Ellie Duncan on being a, a girl dad being a girl dad, and he's kind of being touted right now as being a great example of a girl dad. Well, I, I happen to have two daughters. Uh, I'm an old man with young kids, so I have a 15-year-old and a 14-year-old, but this is, this is what my girls looked like when they were young. Yeah, everybody goes, aww. They're sweet. Now they're teenagers, okay? And uh, they're still really sweet looking, right? But here's the deal. Now, I know that CPS exists, the Child Protective Services, you know, I know it exists, right? And I'm aware of that, okay? But here's the thing. it's not about me trying to see what can I get away with and not have my girls taken away. That's not what it's about. It's about how do I love my girls? How do I sacrifice for my girls? How do I show my girls what a godly example of a dad is? How do I do that? How do, how do I make sure that my girls have an as accurate representation as I can possibly give them of what it looks like for a heavenly father to love them? How do I do? Now, sometimes that means me saying no. 
doesn't mean that I give them everything they want. No. Sometimes I have to say no. Sometimes I have to discipline them. But what does that look like? Can I go back to my marriage for just a second? Now, I know none of you are going to be able to relate to this at all. I know that. But here's the thing. See, Mary could tell you a hundred thousand things about me. A hundred thousand things about me. Like, I tend to be intense like I am right the second. But I tell you right now, you're only seeing one one hundredth of the intensity that I can have. Like, I can be an intense jerk. I really can be. I really can be. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, is that there are many things that Mary could say about me. I'm going to give you basically the only thing I could tell you about Mary. And that is, is that I am a neat freak and she is a clean freak. Right? So there's a difference there. Well, she wants everything clean. I want everything neat. So Mary's idea of our very small walk-in closet is that I take off my clothes at the end of the day and I do that. Now, that's great if I'm in the closet with her. <laughs> Woohoo! Celebrate that. But that rarely happens, right? What usually happens, I come into the closet after her. And did I mention that I'm a neat freak? So I can't tell you how many times oh, I hate the fact that I'm picking up her clothes again in Jesus' name. Or, or, it is my opportunity to love my wife as Christ loves the church and to hang up her clothes. What is my heart attitude? What does my heart say about my wife in those moments? Because <laughs> see, if I'm hanging up her clothes and I'm ticked off about it, that's just about me wanting to be a neat freak and wanting to have a clean closet. I'm not loving or serving my wife. I just wanted things to be neat. But if I do it with a heart posture that says, I love Mary and I want to serve her, then that's a whole different reality. So I ask you again, how's your heart? What's a condition of your heart? Everything I've been talking about for the last few minutes, is also true in my relationship with God. God is not nearly as interested in the externals as he is about where those externals come from. He's much more interested in the heart. And here's what's incredible. This is that Heavenly Father initiated the relationship with you. He pursued you because he loves you. So, what I want to do the next few minutes is, the next few moments is I just want to read a bunch of scripture to you. And you can look it up on the side screens about what God says about you and his love for you. For instance, Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you before you even had a thought. Isaiah 49.16, I've written your name on the palms of my hands. I've got really big hands. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. Zephaniah 3.17, for the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty savior. He will take delight in you. Did you know that God takes delight in you? The God of the universe 
who made the Milky Way without breaking a sweat? That God delights in you? Wait, 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 wait. He delights in you. He delights in you. With gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears and he rejoices over you with joyful songs. Did you know that your heavenly father actually sings songs over you, about you? The Lord is for me. I'll have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, who in the world could ever be against us? When our heart is tempted to worry or be stressed out, like some of ours were when we walked in the doors a few minutes ago, Jesus says to us, don't worry. Saying, what in the world are we going to eat or what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow's got enough worry about itself, amen? It's like, there are plenty of worries that will hit you tomorrow. Don't worry about that. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Another thing, the amazing thing that God says to us about our hurts and our pains and our struggles. Isaiah 53. Surely he, that is, he's talking about Jesus. He's prophesying about Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, you and I are healed. That's incredibly good news. You know why it's good news? Because that verse says that Jesus heals hearts. Some of you in this room, you had things said over you, you had things done to you, and you're carrying around stuff that's residual over stuff that's happened to you. And maybe the best thing you'll hear from God's word all morning this morning is, is that by his wounds, you are healed. And some of you have been carrying that stuff around for a year, five years, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years. You've been carrying that stuff around with you and God wants to free you from that. And by the way, there are some people in this room that say, okay, well, God may love you, may love me all that much, but man, you gotta understand, I don't deserve it. So I just kind of walk away from it because I just don't deserve it. I just don't feel deserving of it. And by the way, Chris, you don't know my junk. You don't know the things that I've done. I understand that others might have done some stuff to me, but I've done plenty of stuff myself. So I'm not sure that God really still does love me. Well, here's the thing. This great passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. This says this, even while we were sinning, God demonstrates his love for us in this way. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And we were still in our habits. And Christ loved us enough to die for us. I don't have time to read this whole next section, but I just want to pick up a little bit from Romans chapter eight and God's promise to us. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all 
things. God is crazy in love with you. He sent his son to die for you. So, as advertised, I want to spend the, the last few minutes that we're here together giving you space to just ask yourself the question, how's my heart? Given the fact that God is crazy in love with me, given the fact that his word says that to me over and over and over again, how's my heart? So, can you do me a favor? Put your phones down. Put whatever down. Get any kind of distractions out of your way. And you can close your eyes or not. It's totally up to you. But I kind of want to, I want you to enter into, if you don't mind, just like a time that's just between you and God. And uh, it's just between the two of you. And there are going to be some questions that come up on the screen. You can look at them if you want to. I'm going to read them, so it's totally up to you. But what I really want in the next few moments is just for you just to say, to kind of do a, a heart check. So ask yourself the questions. We could start, what's the condition of my heart? How do I find my heart today? Am I angry? Did I get in a fight with someone this week or this morning? Am I frustrated? Am I worried? Is the stuff that's happened on the stock market this last week freaked me out? Am I stressed? Is my heart filled with shame and guilt that needs to be released? Do I need to invite Jesus into some spaces in my heart that I've never allowed him in before so that he can begin to bring his healing to those places that have been so hurt The second question, what are the things that are cluttering my heart and getting in the way of me really experiencing the presence of Jesus? Things that are right here in front of my face that are stealing my joy. Maybe it's a dream that hasn't come true yet, something you haven't seen come to fruition yet. My wife Mary and I went 16 years without being able to have children. Maybe some of you are in year 13 or 14 of your struggle like that. Maybe it has to do with children, maybe it has to do vocation, maybe it has to do something else. And you're wondering, does God even care? Maybe it's a real life issue that you're facing, financial, relational. Maybe you sense that your job is on the line and you're really worried about that. And you just need to give that over to him. Maybe your kids are making some decisions that you wish they wouldn't make. You're just really concerned about your kids and you just need to give your kids over to him. Maybe it's a health report. Maybe it's your marriage. Again, where do you need to allow Holy Spirit to begin to work? And what's so cool is that God says to us, would you pour out your heart to me and allow me to work? And right now, you're going to start ignoring me in a good way and just say, God, I want to pour this out to you. Because he's promised us peace. He's promised us his power. He's promised to work things out for our good. Here's another question. What are the things from my past that I'm hanging on to 
that are keeping me from experiencing the life that Jesus promised to give me? Is there some pain or hurt from my past? Something that was said to me, something that was done to me? Was I verbally or physically or sexually abused? And I've hidden that in a little compartment of my heart, but that has destroyed sections of my heart and kept me from being all that God wants me to be. When Jesus says, you're walking around with that like a ball and chain on your foot, but it's on your heart. And what I said when I was here is that I want to set you free. And he who the son, he who Jesus sets free is free indeed. I want to set you free from your past. From either what others did to you or what you did to others. I want to set you free from your past. Would you let him do that? Would you let him to begin to bring healing to those areas of your heart that desperately need it? Maybe your dad or your mom never told you how much they loved you. Maybe Jesus is screaming into your spirit right now, I love you. What are the habits that might be getting in the way of, of experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has for you? Would you be willing to look up for just a second if you've been in an attitude of prayer? Thank you for that. You know, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was growing up, the only thing next to our bed was this thing called an alarm clock. Now, 95% of us have one of these sitting right next to our bed. So what we do, it's almost a knee-jerk reaction, right? We wake up, we recognize I gotta pee in the next three minutes, and then we grab our phone. And then what's our phone saying, right? I gotta I got know what our phone's saying. Is that a habit that serves us well? Should the first thing that happened to us in the morning be an awareness of the fact that God loves us? God, I thank you so much for getting me through the night. I wanna lift, you. the verse that I say every morning when I'm waking up, I have a couple of them. One is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Another one that I pray is, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, Colossians 3.17. I say that every morning when I'm first waking up. I just wanna give my day to God. What are the default habits? Maybe you get in your, so that might be wonderful. Maybe in other words, you get in your, your car and you immediately turn on ESPN or the radio, just to cover your world with noise. I, I, I know you know this, I get it, I know you know this, but you know, we get in different lines in life, at school, at McDonald's, at Starbucks, we just get, and we immediately go to our phone and start swiping social media and everything else, what's going on? Could we actually stop? and say, Holy Spirit, what do you wanna do in and through me in this moment? How might you want to work in and through me to bless the McDonald's person I'm about to talk to, the barista at Starbucks I'm about to interact with? Jesus, I'm about to go into work and you know the cantankerous relationship I have with my coworker or my boss or this person or that person. Jesus, I'm about to go home and I'm exhausted and I need some 
I need some of your strength so I can be the husband or the wife or the dad or the mom I need to be. And so we turn other noise off so we can say, God, I want my heart to be in the right place. Would you help my heart? So, maybe when you get stressed out, you go to porn. And what you need to do is just begin to eradicate that from your life. My porn was food. Boy, do I know how that is. I used to be 110 pounds heavier than I am this morning because I went to food. I know what that's like. If you were to ask me the condition of my heart when I was that heavy, I just would have said, my heart's hurting. And I need the transformative work of Jesus working in my life. So let me ask you the questions. What are you doing to grow your heart? What steps are you intentionally taking to focus on the person of Jesus? Are you reading the Bible? Are you spending time with him and allowing him to speak words of encouragement and love to you? And what am I doing to keep the posture of my heart open to what God wants to say to me? I've told you the two verses I say every morning. Do you know the first thing I say? I try and remember to say to the Lord every morning when I wake up. First thing I wanna to say to him is, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. Lord, however you wanna to speak to me today, I wanna to hear you, I wanna to listen to you. So two things as we close. Number one, I just wanna remind you that you are a favorite son or a favorite daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are. He's crazy in love with you. He loves you. And if you haven't come into a relationship with him yet, he desperately wants to be in a relationship with you. Regardless of your past, he knows it all anyways. Do you know that you're a favorite son or a favorite daughter of the Most High God? He's crazy in love with you. Second thing. Would you allow God to remind you that it's from your heart that all the good things of your life flow? And some of you in this room, I've been here so many times. Look, can you, please don't take this word. Can you imagine being married to me? This intense, whacked, it person. Can you imagine what it was like for my mom? I mean, I'm weird when I'm 54. What was I like when I was 14? <laughs> there have been so many times in my life when I just needed someone to pray for me. When I needed someone to come alongside and to say, would you pray for me? And I didn't have to tell them all the details. I just need someone to pray for me. And this morning as we close, there are some prayer partners in the back by those three signs and some of the pastors here at Frontline that are back there that just want to pray for you. And you don't have to tell them all the details. You just, maybe you'll just say, I've got, I've got a relational issue I just need prayer for. Or this or that is going on. You tell as much as you want to tell. I know for me, there have been times when I needed, there was a defining moment and I needed to go public with just enough of a defining moment to say, I need prayer right now, just pray for me. And, and I, there was a stake in the ground. And then there have been other times when that wasn't the case. But for you, that might be a moment for you this morning. You just need someone to pray for you. I just want to encourage you, when we get 
we stand up in just a second and we worship. Some of you might just want to go back to that and just ask someone to pray for you. Oh my goodness, I've needed that so many times. Maybe this morning you'll do that. Allow God to minister to your heart. Would you stand, please? Yeah, God, just like that kid. We say to you, Daddy, Daddy, thanks for loving us. Thanks for caring for us. Thanks for treating us so much better than we deserve. I just pray for the people in this room that they would have a sense of your amazing love for them. And for those, God, who this needs to be a defining moment in their life, I just pray that whether it's right there in their seat or they go back and they allow someone to pray for them, that they would experience you doing all that you want to do in their life. God, allow our hearts to be healthy so that our lives could be healthy, so we could experience the abundant life that Jesus came and promised to give us. I ask this in Jesus' name.